Welcome to Six Rings, a six-episode podcast recapping ESPN's The Last Dance, a 10-part docuseries on the legacy of Michael Jordan and the 1990 Chicago Bulls dynasty. We are joined today, uh, myself, Sean Glennis, and Arlen Golden, and Soham Godry. Um, but we also have a guest, uh, filmmaker and professor at DePaul, Eric Marsh. How's it going, Eric? It's going. Uh, happy to be here. Happy to uh, talk bulls in uh, in these times. Yeah, uh, we're happy to have you. Um, so I think all three of us, uh, we discussed on the first episode that uh, we all have some geographic ties to uh, Chicago and um, grew up watching the bulls in the 90s at varying points. I think... I think you, are, were you born and raised in Chicago? That's right. I am a, okay. a native son of the Chicagoland area, and that yeah. encompasses both DuPage and Cook Counties uh, over many All years. Right. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, we're like basically the same age, maybe to the days, I don't know. Based on based on a meme, <laughs> could calculate that. Uh, yeah, June so, 1980s, you know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> So uh, we grew up watching at the same time and have a, have a similar historic reference. Um, and Arlen, I, I think you're about the same age. I don't know how old you are. So um, I was I but, was uh, too young for like the first uh, the first half of that run. Um, I like the '98 yeah. finals is what I remember most, and I was eight years old at the time. So okay. So, Eric, I guess, like, speak a little bit to your specific connection to uh, the franchise. Yeah, sure. Uh, to use another sort of, like, recent uh, meme, right? Uh, I didn't post about this, but I was thinking, right, like, what were the actual first news stories that I remember? And I really remember, like, two things growing up, and that's the first Gulf War and the first Bulls championship. And those are, like, two really, like, formative uh, <laughs> memories I have and... Um, so yeah, I mean, I grew up in the, you know, going to school in the nineties, I was all in for the bulls, uh, for all time. Like my, obviously my parents were really into it. Everyone was really into it. So, uh, yeah. That's I mean, funny. That's funny. Cause I referenced the same meme on the last episode saying that, uh, not the go for, but the first, first like national thing I can remember experiencing, uh, that I actually had a context for, or like a consciousness for it, was the uh, watching them beat the Suns in my neighbor's garage. Um, so that's funny. Yeah, I mean, they loomed large, right? I mean, it was, you know, it was everywhere. So I, I, I guess, um, how, how, are we, how are we thinking the series is coming together? I feel like we just got episodes um, three and four, and, and we're getting a little bit more of like... Um, uh, I guess the the narrative or how it's working, the utility. We got this like back and forth thing that we're kind of used to the rhythm. But how do you got? How do you guys think it's coming along? Um, I you know we were talking last week about you know they they seem to be managing uh, all these disparate uh, temporal elements and like w what the now is and the past and conflating all that and they're you know, balancing these interviews and footage and um, archival all pretty well. Um, I think this week that feeling changed for me a little bit. <laughs> I think it's it's the balance doesn't quite feel there. 
you know, to we talked a bit about the footage, like all that 97, 98 footage that seemed to really taken a back seat um, to everything so far. Um, and but you want you want more on the Native American <laughs> Jackson knowledge. I definitely want less of that <laughs> and less of talking about it. But um, I, um, you know, I I think a lot of the draw for for people like us who already you know know something about these teams in this era is like getting some of this behind the scenes like just kind of boys being boys uh just like hanging out type stuff and i think you know where that turns out to have been coming in so far is like you know last night for me the show was stolen by like 10 second clips each from ron harper and horace grant right like um ron harper had like Mm -hmm. one throwaway line about putting in craig elo on jordan Horace Grant had the thing calling the Pistons bitches <laughs> and like, you know, this is sort of what between those moments and everyone just like watching someone else talking shit on their iPhone, you know, this seems to be the sort of like direct cinema candid element of the documentary all of a sudden, um, more so than any of this wealth, you know, 500 hours of film that, that they've been talking yeah. about and, promoing the series yeah i I get what you're saying there are some uh, some moments where it's weird like we're used to especially if you like grew up watching the tapes like you're used to like seeing these little minutes of like huddles and then it cutting and there are a couple times where it keeps going and you're like oh wow i'm not used to the rhythm of this like where they they have the footage and they're going to show us of like them walking into the next room and talking to the other people or whatever getting to meet the sniffers or whatever (laughs) um but yeah, what, what about the rest of you guys? I think that um, that now I really understand kind of the structure that uh, they decided to take with this, where they're going from like person to person uh, from that 1998 team and um, sort of, you know, recounting their role in that season, taking it back to, uh, you know, where they were before the Bulls. And then, of course, in the end, it's always tied back to uh, Michael Jordan and how his uh, career has completely uh, been shaped uh, throughout his tenure with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, David Roth, right after the episodes last night, David Roth uh, wrote a um, article for Vulture where he was kind of talking about how uh, Jordan's interviews ironically are like the least interesting part of this documentary in a sense and it's mainly probably because we've (laughs) all heard him before like we've heard everything that he has to say um what arlen was talking about in regarding like just like the offhanded funny comments that like you know horace grant was throwing in there like even gary payton had that one line where he was like uh you know (laughs) dennis rodman was the fuck up guy like he was just fucking everything up for everybody uh, else on the floor uh, like in a good way not in a bad way he was you know making life yeah. miserable for the opponents and those are really the kind of like moments where it's the most interesting like you're getting like their per- just like offhanded perspective of the stuff that was going on like 
in that time and it, it's um mm-hmm. i really like that i, I want to see um a lot more of that i hope they uh interview more of the guys that the bulls played against kind of giving perspective on the team uh guys like barkley and you know um D- yeah dan malone Marley, maybe uh stockton yeah yeah uh, what do you, what do you think, Eric? What, like, do you think that there are certain like significant shortcomings as far as like the scope or anything, or do, are you just having fun? Yeah. Watching? Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, well, both. <laughs> I mean, I think any Bulls fan is feeling uh, many things right now, but um, especially as a film person, right? Uh, you know, I mean, I think I I reconciled the fact that it was going to be a hagiography even before it started, right? The Jordan, like you know, uh, Jordan's approval. Reinsdorf's involvement, any involvement with these guys, right? Like, I don't know David Falk as Michael Jordan's agent or whatever, right? Like, we are never going to get anytime soon the real story of the Chicago Bulls, right? So I think, like, omissions are, you know, expected but notable, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that just the way it, like, always comes back to Jordan, Jordan's the center of the universe... I mean, that's, of course, true, uh, but uh, as far as filmmaking, right, it's like, are we even going to hear from Craig Hodges? We haven't even seen Tony, you know, like, what what is going on? Obviously, that's going to have a whole episode, I'm sure. I hope. But okay. <laughs> I would hope so, right? Um, but I'm also, you know, I was thinking about coming on, and I wanted to say that the Jerry Krause defender has logged on. <laughs> I'm here. And I'm just... here to defend the dead man who cannot defend himself. Right, right. And I'm I'm no great lover of Jerry Krause, but we have to be honest, especially with mm. like Reinsdorf just oh, yeah. lying in those interviews. Like he's not the owner of the team, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's stuff in. Uh, I don't know if any of you have read Playing for Keeps, the David yeah, Halberstam book. Yeah. It's fantastic, and it's got all this. You know, it's got all this Krause stuff in there. Um, and one of the things they talk about is how Reinsdorf would strategically send Kraus to the negotiating table. So by the time the negotiations broke down, Reinsdorf could come in and get like the sweet deal and just be like, I know it's tough dealing with Jerry as if he wasn't controlling the right. structure and flow of those, you know contracts and everything so you got you kind of um, you kind of could read through the lines on the jackson stuff on this right like that felt like a, a like krauss's machinations and then it like didn't really he it didn't seem like he really got his deserve on that i don't know yeah and also just thinking back about the whole phil you know chapter of it this time around i was thinking like of course you know everyone talks shit about jerry Krause, but he hired Phil Jackson. Yeah. He drafted Scotty Pippen, Horace Grant. He signed Ron Harper and Steve Kerr. Like he knew he that, did all of yeah. those things. He knew that Tex Winter was like the Oracle. Right. He knew Tex. Like he he brought all that together. And of course, right, he had his own shortcomings and feelings and problems, right? But you know, he hasn't gotten a fair shake, that's for sure. And we, I mean, I, I, I'm gonna defend his dancing. Like, uh, to the oh man, that was awesome. <laughs> that was horrifying. I thought of, you know, um, have any of you seen the the other side of the Roberto Minervini documentary? <laughs> yes. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, there's some. Okay, right, and there's like, well, I'm not gonna say what it is, but there's a moment in that film that you know I will never unsee. 
And I tweeted that at the time. I said, I, I, how do I unsee this? And, and Vadim Rizov just responded, you're not supposed to. Yeah. Um, and that's what I feel about Jerry Krause's dance. <laughs> I don't know. I can never unsee that. His, so his you're, family. You're, I, you're I wonder what it's like. I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, trying to guess what you're alluding to, but you're equating Krause's dancing, I'm assuming, to either a pregnant woman being injected with heroin or, or uh, a woman um, in an Obama mask going down on someone and a group of men watching the second one. Yeah. Okay. Just, yeah. I'm not sure what we're talking about here. That's right. Wow. <laughs> Equally horrifying. But I loved it. I loved it, yeah. you know. So I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to defend Jerry a little bit, but not too much because he really, uh, you know, he really blew up the team with Jerry's backing, of course. But uh, the dancing, you know, was that's an... such a visceral moment. Like, it's it, like I was happy for him. He seemed to be just like having so much fun. I know. And I felt bad. What was it? Dennis, who was like, Jerry, sit down. Yeah. I think that um, the one thing that I will say is it's 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 kind of. I don't know about strange, but I, I felt it was unfair that um, Reinsdorf uh, got into the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame before Kraus did, and Kraus had to get in after he passed away. I thought that uh, they should have... It, it should have been the other way around. Uh, <laughs> like, they, they shouldn't have let Reinsdorf into the Hall of Fame while he was still alive. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know... And I think, too, you know, thinking back again on Kraus... I was again, you know, going through the Scotty stuff, and I'm sure we'll experience it in the in the Kukoc sections. Is how again Kraus is sort of ahead of his time in kind of predicting the modern NBA in terms of the kind of players he scouted and looked for in terms of people like Scotty or Tony who are what like point forwards or just huge guys that can handle the ball and shoot. And I think you know those kinds of players, right, weren't you know valued the way they are now and the also way that Kraus saw that he, it, like, um, right. you know obviously the decision to uh re hit the reset button on the bulls was was one of the dumbest moves in nba history but i mean the way that he did it was at was kind of prophetic in the way that most teams try to do it now where he just loaded up on draft picks and i mean he got he got, uh, who was it? He got Elton Brand. He got Ron Artest. He got, uh, you know, and then he traded Elton Brand for two other picks in, like, 2002. And th this is, like, literally what the Sixers have been trying to do for the past, like, five years. And <laughs> so. just not paying Pippen, like, $37 million a year <laughs> after Jordan Lee. Like, yeah. Um, so the first, or the third episode, the first of this week's, was uh, a big Rodman episode that we, we kind of knew was coming. Um, and obviously there's a lot to talk about there, including, as Simmons, Bill Simmons would say, he's just not that interesting. But um, uh, no, I, I forgot about a lot of, I, I, it brought a lot of stuff to memory, like the gun in the car thing, which is just like so sad. Yeah, uh, the, the, the crazy thing too is when we think about 30 for 30 as a franchise, um, this is like the third 30 for 30 in which this exact round has been covered. Um, there was the bad boys. And then last year there was right. the Rodman uh, doc on his own. And, and, 
you know, I was a little surprised at the presentation in this one. Um, obviously, there's a lot more going on and they have to kind of hit the beats. Um, but in terms of the interview with Dennis himself right now felt mm -hmm. very muted. Um, I, I've never seen this guy talk about what he's talking about in this episode and and not really kind of break down and maybe maybe that's huh. because he's been doing it so much recently right um but i feel like you know the the highlight to the dentist section for me was just him sort of talking about the mindset of a great rebounder um and hitting the trajectory of the balls uh, off the rim and <laughs> yeah. you know just like telling people to throw up bricks so he can like see how the balls go um but you know i i think he, he obviously bill simmons is wrong dennis is <laughs> a very interesting guy but like i feel like they gave him just enough space and time in this episode to say okay we've covered rodman like, you know, let's move well, it on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's so much bad boy stuff in here that yeah. we've heard a million times about, like, Lampier and the beating up and the no handshake stuff. But it's just like, just like zero in on, on Robin. Like, I don't yeah. need, I don't need to hear from Isaiah Thomas, honestly. Um, but, uh, it, I mean, we did get to, to hear from uh, John Sally, uh, Whoopi Goldberg's co-star from Eddie. Um <laughs> And uh, just one of the great rock and tears of the NBA, <laughs> I feel like. John Sally's voice is incredible. Like, oh, yeah, man. it's fun. I, I, it's like it's funny. It's kind of hoarse and gravelly, like Pippin. But I feel like Pippin comes through like he's speaking through a voice box, like he had his trachea yep. taken yeah. out. But for some reason, Sally like just like smooth like butter. It's yeah. very soothing. Do you want to talk about the Dennis Rodman Craig mm. Sager exchange? <laughs> Holy that was, shit! Holy that shit! That was one of the more uh, interesting bits, right? Yeah. It's just a shot of Dennis wearing his bong hat walking down the <laughs> corridor, and Craig Sl Sager slips him some cash like he's uh, in for Goodfellas his, for his um, for his uh, because Fine, apparently yeah, he yeah. he yeah he got a technical or whatever, but just yeah you can't just glaze past that. <laughs> But it's it's interesting too. We're talking about like glazing and stuff like the push of you know of Scottie Pippen in in uh, that playoff series. You know when Rodman was brought to the Bulls uh, in '95. That's all. You know, talk about early memories. That's all anyone was yeah. talking about. I remember like yeah. uh, you know Dennis Rodman, the guy who like almost took Scotty out. You know forever. Um, so I feel like unless you already come in with that frame of reference, I don't think that documentary really conveyed, you know, just how scandalous right. bringing him in was because of that, that incident. And the stuff that, speaking of him and Pippen, like the stuff, seeing the, that footage of them on the bench while Pippen was out, like that narrative was, was great to see like them enact that footage of, of like Rodman really... Um, I guess becoming close with Jordan and wanting to be sort of second banana. Um, it makes me wonder, like we're talking about the footage that, that, you know, is out there that they're using or not using. And it's like, what does, what does the Wiseman version of this look like? <laughs> um, 
but which which also brings me up to another question that are there other like filmmakers like i i think the obvious question is because of chicago uh do you guys wish that somebody like steve james made this movie yeah i i just want i happen to have a little tea that at one point steve <laughs> was brought in apparently a uh, little birdie told me to as you know considered for this project um and at the time which i think was years and years ago like before you know they considered were considering spike at one point it was before that you know when it was just this kind of wealth of of 97 98 footage um and you know from what i understand what i heard is that just all of the sort of different masters to serve in a project like this between you know the league and and the players and um you know i don't know if netflix was involved at that time and then they just, you know, yeah trying trying to do something uh that you know would bear some sort of authoristic stamp like steve james might offer i think he just wasn't interested in in being under so many thumbs you're like we don't want this to be too good like we're not concerned <laughs> with the quality yeah they watched the Allen Iverson doc and were like, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, like For sure. yeah. social issues, you know, I mean, it is very fitting, right? It's fitting that a documentary uh, about and around Michael Jordan would be completely deficient uh, yeah. in relating any of this to like, you know, I don't know the way that, you know, you talked about in terms of something like made in America, right? Made in America is constant or the OJ thing, right? It's constantly, in dialogue with like social issues Mm. in america and all these bigger sort of ideas and this is right just not really i mean this the story to be told i guess is the one that halberstam tells which is like globalization the nba like that's the story right Mm -hmm. commercialism commerce you know like hodges said or whoever jordan chose commerce over uh conscience or whatever (laughs) at whatever point but i don't know yeah. Yeah, I mean the Halberstam book is is super interesting because it's it's almost he makes argument that like you know Jordan just happened to be ascendant amongst the rise of all these other factors, you know, like Nike coming up, Spike Lee coming up, all the all these things that were being pulled into, uh, you know, the hegemony um and it just happened to be jordan then right and you know he happened to be the greatest basketball player um but i think you know again back to deficiencies is like there's that book is about sort of how the culture was both impacted and affected um by the bulls or how how it impacted the bulls and then the bulls in turns and impacted the culture so far this seems very insular and the bulls impact on the bulls you know the bulls impact on other teams on basketball but um as far as like cultural stamps Mm -hmm. i mean maybe it's because you know we all lived it and we remember and we we know how big of a deal it was but um you know i i feel like all that sort of larger scope um of meaning is you know i don't think it was ever going to be the focus but it seems almost totally alighted through these first four episodes so far yeah they um they like haven't barely even mentioned david stern during this whole documentary and like him being the commissioner during the time that this was going on was is a 
really big deal to me specifically because like Mm -hmm. what he was doing try specifically his whole goal of trying to get the nba to become a globalized product and using michael jordan's fame and the nike deals to do that is is really a big part of why like you know the nba was significant in this in this era and all the stuff that it was trying to do and i mean even though the fruits of that didn't really come into like everyone's conscious until later like during kobe's prime kobe's prime was really when like the nba kind of made its stamp on the world um but like this is where like knew what they were doing this is where it was like where all the whole foundation was being built and um they really haven't mentioned like the state of the league uh during this documentary yet maybe it'll come once they start mentioning like the later uh championships like the suns you know 93 and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah i really wish they would like go more into that rather than just being like uh as arlen said uh you know just the bulls impact on the team itself yeah uh and i guess also you get the the phil jackson which like was a big focal point of what the the fourth episode um it's like we know the zen stuff like we don't need to hear the zen (laughs) stuff like as someone was pointing out on, on twitter like that he also had his own ways to manipulate things that like you know it's just not interested in telling that story but but jason here i don't know how to pronounce his last name but he's in a fortunate position where like at least for myself and i'm guessing for you guys too but where you can literally just show like a photograph or like a certain shot of jordan doing something that we haven't seen a million times like besides like the kick after the after the cab shot like the stuff outside of the stuff that's in every montage and it's just like it's so rich in nostalgia where it's just like so powerful like for me like just like automatically takes me back to like a weird like just taps into like this dormant period and it's just like that's not that doesn't mean he's good at what he's doing it's just like playing with such like powerful iconography that like he doesn't actually have to like um you know go into any any sort of um heavy lifting i guess yeah it's it's layered too i mean you brought up um the shot over elo and and the jump and i I remember the the um announcing the commentating in that moment um that they played was like a track on this bulls cd that like alternated between like jock <laughs> yeah, jams yeah. and like uh-huh. notable bulls announcing moments i forget what the name of the album was my mom had that in the van yeah for, no like, it was time. it was on in the car all the time and like my memory <laughs> isn't like thinking of when jordan hit that shot my memory is me in the car listening to the cd <laughs> uh, playing this moment right it's like this like simulacra like sandwich yeah mm-hmm. eric do you have other thoughts about uh these last couple episodes um as far as like phil and uh maybe rodman yeah well i was thinking again of you know just the matter of perspective and obviously since i guess this macro story of the bulls is, hasn't been told as such despite of course all of us you know I've, i still have all my vhs from learning to fly through uh 
you know, whatever they're called. Untouchable, yeah, or whatever, yeah, <laughs> All the puns of the titles, I, you know, I have all those. I've got the DVDs, right? We've seen them all a million times. And I think, right, I think at certain moments, the shot was interesting because I was reminded of this because of, I think James Herbert wrote something in CBS News about it where he was talking about, right, like, what's the reality of the shot on Elo is that Elo scored 15 in the fourth quarter, went absolutely <laughs> nuts, was also part of a double team on Jordan. Yeah. Um, and the greatest detail of all is that Doug Collins in the huddle called a play for Dave Corsi. And then Jordan was like, yeah. what are you doing? Give me the ball. And he changed the play like on the spot. But that's like, that's fact, you know? And like, we're not treated. We're just treated like, oh, Doug Collins loved MJ. And in reality, he's like, no one will suspect Corzy down below, you know? <laughs> um, after Elo made like, you know, the shot with three seconds left to go right. ahead. So, yeah. you know, just those, like, I think that makes it a more interesting story. And I'm still interested in humiliating the Cavs and Elo for the rest of their lives. Sure. But. That's important context that they always just glide over and did once again, right? Like, I don't know. Uh, this, like, it brings to question, um, and I've been thinking about this throughout all four episodes of the doc so far, is just who are they really aiming towards? Are they trying to please everybody? Like, because the thing is, is that, okay, if you're aiming towards the people who were, you know, um, growing up during that era most of the stuff that you're showing is stuff that those people already know if you're aiming towards mm -hmm. you know the people who are um you know grew up when the nba was at its absolute like in terms of like commercial and and like uh global peak which is you know during like i said kobe's prime uh, so those are the people who grew up like kind of in my era, which was like mid two thousand. The Yao Ming stuff, right? Yeah. Then this like the stuff that you should be showing is like all of the um, all of the stuff that what Eric was mentioning, right? Like that we don't know. I mean, because like even us, like we, mm -hmm, we know right. about the shot and like him over Craig Elo and everything, but we don't know that. Craig Elo scored 15 points in that fourth quarter <laughs> and like the context to that shot was that wow like he hit the shot over the guy who was like performing really well at the end of the game but yeah and maybe that maybe that like sort of goes to a certain um to, to kind of rationalize it I guess <clears throat> not that I'm in favor of it but because it, it works because Jordan was so graceful like that's like this is like kind of what he has over everybody, right? Like he was he was more graceful than anybody. And you can just watch these things in a vacuum and be like, "Holy shit, that was incredible." Like we're like it 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 sort of evacuates itself from the need of context. Whereas like, I don't know, LeBron's block on Iguodala is like cool, but like in context it's so much like more interesting, I guess. Yeah. Um I forgot that like even that that uh, the Cavs hit that shot with three point nine seconds left or whatever. Like I had forgotten that detail, but yeah, I don't know. Like it, like I w I've been watching this um, with my partner, and she was like, "It's like he pauses in midair," and it's like, "Yeah, exactly." Like so, like uh, to that type of person that has been 
less exposed than us it's still like such a powerful image that like it, you know it doesn't necessitate context as much as we would like it yeah i would say the one thing that i have absolutely no problem with at all is just the moments of the documentary that are just like mixtape yeah. bangers and <laughs> yeah, like yeah. and jordan just like rejecting people so hard like yeah. i mean that stuff's good prince like it's good you know yeah. i'm into that yeah i mean a prince the beastie boys prince mj yeah highlight reel is like you know too easy you can't, <laughs> you can't mess that up. but maybe you can a little because a i feel like some of these sequences are cut to shit you know we're talking about context like like i feel like they're like very quick highlights of the of shots but like there's no real fluidity from highlight to highlight or it's it's very quick and the quality the the decision to blow up all this SD Horrible. footage yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just like a mess of blobby pixels flying around all over the place like i really wish they had just committed to some black bars or something on the sides but yeah um, yeah well yeah i i mean it's the same reason why a lot of people would be shocked to watch seinfeld in full frame (laughs) um but yeah i well i was thinking the beastie boys uh rodman sequence was so good and the way it ended like that yeah that was like a real like sort of cinematic moment where i I started to kind of get goosebumps just like the power of the image in a way that that um yeah like we we get to see. We don't get to see Robin that that much Cre- that way. Credit to the music supervisors too for for picking some deep cuts from both those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Party Man and and uh, the God, I forgot the Beastie Boys cut, but it was appropriate for the Robin sequence mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess um, one of the one of the questions I was going to ask because it's been like sort of haunting me throughout whenever I get like a little taste of it is um like I want to hear from Neil Funk uh and I guess I'm interested in who you guys else want to see like who else you guys want to see because like as well as like who's underserved like BJ Armstrong like showed up for like a couple talking head shots um I don't know Are, are there things that you guys are like sort of like waiting for or like really hoping that they cover yeah I think um uh I said I said this in um, the last pod, like the the series with the New York Knicks that the Bulls played in like '93 was, you know, I've I went back and watched a bunch of like games from that whole era, and I think, uh, you know, we've been ragging on um, uh, Bill Simmons because of his his Rodman take, but um, he actually did a pretty good uh, podcast uh, last week on the i think it was game four game five of that bulls knicks series and that series is something that i really want them to get into because i think that might have been the best series outside of the finals that Mm -hmm. jordan played in a championship year uh just because of the intensity of it uh the guys that he was playing against were like just you know just at the top they were all at the top of their game like I don't think Ewing was ever better than he was in that series, or uh, you know. Well, we haven't heard from Oakley either, and he was there, and he's been mentioned multiple times. 
They inter- mm. This is another thing. They introduced him in the third episode. I was like, we fucking already heard about him. Like, like I don't know. That felt a little bit like playing to like people who are tuning in and forgot the first two episodes. I don't know. How could you forget about <laughs> Charles Oakley? I know. Yeah, I think... Uh, I mean, I guess I'm always interested to see what angle they're going to take on the retirement. I mean, I'm not because they're just going to, you know, serve up the same bullshit as always. But I feel like I should mention that when I was in grad school, I was in this class, you know, some screenwriting class. And at the end, you had to pitch an idea and everyone's ideas were bad. And then this one kid gets up there and he's like, the true story of MJ, it opens with the press conference. David Stern is lurking <laughs> behind Jordan. Uh, and I was like, oh, you know, like, this is it. Uh, and the kid's whole pitch was like, you know, the gambling, yeah. the debts, the, you know, forced <laughs> retirement, like, went full in the conspiracy uh, retirement mode. And again, Jordan's retirement, no matter how many times it's rationalized, I will never believe for a second the cover story that yeah. they created, you know? Mm-hmm. But again, what are they going to do at ESPN? Right. They're not going to. They're not going to actually be like, you know. And then Jordan was playing golf with this person. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'd love yeah. to hear from some of those guys. There's right. like the Chicago outfit guys that he was like into for 200k or whatever. Well, it's funny that like, um, and maybe this is as far as they'll go in it. But like Scotty talking about how the clubs were just like the golf clubs were just like a means of him getting his money. Uh, like that's pretty ruthless, but. Um, <laughs> I, I, I kind of, I, I like, uh, I hope it leans into this, but it's showing how funny Michael was, in a way, like, that's, that with Scotty Burrell, like, just, like, fucking killing him on uh, being hung over or whatever, and him just, like, not wanting it to be on camera. <laughs> it's like, uh, I was cracking up. Yeah, you, you mentioned Neil Funk. Um, Stacey King was there in those early seasons and yeah. he was a punching bag <laughs> especially for jordan um and it's funny when you listen to him you know courtside now he talks about those years with such fondness what it meant to be playing with michael and right. on those teams um when like dude got what like four minutes a game you know <laughs> would go like one of five or something and then would just be getting ragged on, you know, the whole trip to Indiana or wherever they were going next. Um, so I I hope they give him some time. Um, you know, we we've we've all talked about looking forward to to cute coaches uh, introduction. I think Stacy King has some stories to tell probably, but you know th- this this all goes back to approvals and you know Jordan sort of. Um, his specter over everything, you know. I think all all of the players are being interviewed with the knowledge that Michael's going to see this footage, uh, even footage that, yeah, that yeah, probably yeah. isn't going to end up in the in the film. And you know, there is that long sequence where everyone's handing or, or he's handing all the players, you know, the iPad to watch yeah. interviews on <laughs> just to get takes on. Like, um, was it know. kind of embarrassing? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, it it just goes back to what we were talking about last week is like this is the 90s Bulls doc that we're going to get, you know, that uh-huh. there's not going to be another one. So when there's just kind of like 
some hacky lazy shit like that um it's a little bit of a groan but it's like you know what else what 50 other things that we've already been talking about here could we maybe have spent this time uh you know chronicling or or like you know let's like put a bunch of dunks over some tribe mix or i don't know but like Mm -hmm. i think one thing that's well i think one thing that's interesting i guess about you know what the you know the passing off of the phone or ipad or whatever it makes me think of that like a lot of the a lot of it is especially like right the current interviews are very much like you know rashomon like you know like (laughs) i saw this no i saw this and you know i think in the hands of a skillful filmmaker you could actually do something very interesting with that kind of thing right i made the joke on Twitter that the last dance should double feature with the Irishman because it's a bunch, it's about a bunch of old guys lying and, and thinking about the past. They're thinking about the past and they're lying and it's not their fault. We all lie about the past. That's how it works. Cause we don't remember. Um, but again, right to your point, I think you made last week, like how does Jordan like remember some of this stuff? And it's because he's remembered the anecdotes that were written oh. down and published and like yeah, along yeah. the yeah. way. Right. Like, Um, But I think right at the core of it, there is something kind of interesting about like the flashback upon flashback thing, but, you know, crushed by the weight of the institution, among other things, right? Where it's Mm -hmm. like, nah, play the hits, you know, the shot, let's go. um, I mean, they touted like that there was this like, you know, absolute gold mine of footage that was being captured. And I mean... I'm wondering if they should have said anything at all because I don't think most of that stuff is is ever <laughs> was ever going to get approved yeah. and sent out. Like, in, like the, I remember before this premiered, like the weeks leading up to this, it was like, oh, you know, Ku Coach has got some stuff that that you know everyone's going to flip out over. And now I'm actually doubting whether Ku Coach is even going to like say anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> has 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 Longley been in it at no, all? No, Longley has not been yeah. in it. Um, even like not even talking headshots, but just like <laughs> on court shit. There, there, were, there was the shot of uh, Phil leading like a yoga oh, session on the floor. I, I yeah. caught Luke Longley in there, I think, doing some some sun salutations. It's funny if his face is just blurred every time he's on. Do you think it's in, do you think it's like interesting that you know I'm thinking of like what are some of the the sequences that are built out of that footage right the 98 to 97 98 footage and the thing that sticks out to me is like the Jordan yeah. media saga right both with like the really funny anecdote right that Sam Smith tells about Jordan calling out the fake news media for their yeah, bad yeah. predictions against the Cavs. That was great, yeah. But I really like the mini montage of him in 97 just being like, stop asking me this question. Stop asking, mm-hmm, like, just mm-hmm. really hammering home, you know, right, what Rodman says. I'd play basketball for free, but you got to pay me to deal yeah. with the bullshit. And you really get a sense of that with some of that footage, uh, at least in that one sequence. And during that, you st- like it's wild how good he was with the press, like dealing with that shit. Yeah. Like how, like you get a sense of which is not just like, oh cool, but like you get a sense of how co- like cultivated his presence is, and just like how good he was at that. That's something that I've like thought about a lot. Is that because I mean, obviously now that this documentary has come out 
people are going to in the future ask about okay so where's the 10 part kobe doc where's the 10 part lebron doc and i think that guys who reach that particular level of just fame and scrutiny in the media by just by a a matter of self-defense they have to completely have control over their own story to a point where like it's just everything has to be scripted. Everything has to be rehearsed. and Like Kobe that, doing work, where it's literally just commentary. <laughs> right. And, like, I mean, even LeBron. Like, the LeBron that you get in interviews is just this curated character uh, who has lines that he, he has rehearsed a million times to say to the press. And, um, yeah, I think that, like for this documentary like it's very clear that you know it's uh the you're like if you're ever going to get the real story about any of these guys it's going to have to be like after you know uh they don't have control of their material anymore yeah and who knows if that'll ever happen but i mean that that was a good the the no you know i'm i'm not answering that question sequence you brought up is a good example of i think you know where the footage can really lead uh whereas it's really played kind of a supplemental illustrative role where like you know they're talking about something else with the interviews and then like oh here's like an example from 97 when you know this kind of applied whereas um they could be using that footage as the the anchor and i i just feel like the only anchor as we've gone through four episodes now is is michael um which is mm-hmm. you know i guess like we're we're saying not unexpected but um you know is it is it serving just you know the entire arc of what's really like 15 years of um basketball but do we know what the next couple episodes are going to be about well, so what? Like, you got? I guess they they just did the Lakers, uh, ninety ninety one. So they're they're, I guess Portland and and Phoenix up and up through the first retirement. I'm guessing. We haven't um hit on uh Phil Jackson yet, and uh, I wanted to know like, I mean, you, Sean, you mentioned the triangle. Mm-hmm. Um. It's like I'm, I'm I'm wondering there are a lot of like different, uh, you know, ideas about like a lot of opinions about whether Phil Jackson was the reason why guys like Michael and Kobe were so successful or it was the other way around where it was, you know, Phil Jackson just kind of like ended up in these situations where he had arguably the best players of their time always on his team yeah and yeah i guess like the documentary makes the case that the triangle is a way to make those ball heavy stars flourish with their team and i guess are you asking like do we believe that that's really what it does i'm I'm wondering like what is everyone's kind of perception overall of uh, as of phil jackson's like legacy is he really this like you know genius or Mm -hmm. is he just you know a guy who just really had 
great suspenders. <laughs> great. Well, great, like, good managerial skills with players. Like, he was able to just, like, yeah. bond with them really well where they just trusted what he was saying and he gave them, you know, freedom. Or was it, because, like, I feel like there's a there's this kind of perception that he was this, like, master strategist of a coach. And I'm not really sure that that's true. I think he was, like, a lot more humanistic. I think the reason that he was so successful was because he could literally put anybody on his team and he would be able to kind of just handle them psychologically. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought the triangle was kind of a myth, you know, despite (laughs) the fact that it was real and it did work. But, right, I mean, if it only worked essentially for in the NBA for two teams, I'm sure it's worked at other levels, but... And even Kobe, I think, tried to like sabotage the triangle. I mean, I mean, right? I'm not a I'm not a basketball expert, but what I know about the triangle is that it gets the ball in the hands of the best player on the weak side, so they have more space, right? Mm-hmm. Like that just sounds like a good idea in general, <laughs> right? Um, but the fact that it didn't work without the best players in the world is always like, right, yeah, well, I mean, is is Phil the world's greatest book club leader, or is he, you know, uh, I mean, those are the stories, right? Like, he was giving Pau Gasol Spanish literature, whatever, you know, like, what the hell? Like, I mean, obviously, he was a great individual manager, right? He found what ticked in every person and had a personal, like, an individualized approach to them. Um, so and I mean, we see yeah. that with Rodman, right? Like him sort of like loosening the reins or knowing exactly how to position himself and, and when to, to, yeah. I will say it was really cool that, um, uh, to hear Steve Kerr talk about, um, uh, Rodman and Phil's like ability to just kind of like treat him, uh, be able to like understand that he, he, he mentally, uh, operated differently because like for Steve Kerr, that's like basically the same thing he had to do with like draymond green yeah (laughs) well and that point is made too the uh, the other coach the pistons assistant coach says that about rodman he says yeah chuck daly said you don't put a harness on a mustang or whatever (laughs) right right, right. so you have different coaches just being like we figured out dennis rodman you let him do whatever he wants but you just make sure he shows up for whatever right Right, like and he like between the stuff like that and um, the stuff like the, uh, the Vegas trip and like getting to hear from Carmen Lecture, which was pretty cool, um, and the you know getting a peek into his mental health, like he really is sort of like the beating heart of like the, that episode. Like that episode, I think was more resonant than the others as far as like something that really was poignant. I think also because it intersects with the past that they were leaving, right? So there's an extra layer where it's like, all right, now let's flash back. And then there's Rodman on the Pistons, right? Mm -hmm. So it had this, like, very coherence. They never never mentioned that he married himself. (laughs) Not yet. They did not. Not But that's, like, mid-nine... I forget when that happened. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I feel like... Maybe that'll come up. I feel like Rodman was on N- MTV for like f- like three years straight, just like Rodman coverage. Yeah, one one thing I want to say about the triangle is if you were playing intramural ball <laughs> in Chicagoland anywhere during that era, <laughs> you know you had a bunch of ten year olds dads 
trying to beat into you this oh, triangle yeah. offense <laughs> oh, yeah. that nobody understood. The dads didn't know what it was. The kids sure didn't know what it was. But like every that's, see that's every basketball team I played on during that year, like whoever was the dad coach would try and instill the triangle. It's branding. Yeah. It's a it's a piece of branding, right? Like it's a utility that like yeah you use if you have the best player ever but like yeah yeah it's like it's like now that every every dad is uh every dad whose kid is playing basketball they're just teaching them how to do a step back three yeah or shoot from 35 (laughs) feet yeah right but i mean when when you talk about you know phil jackson and and this discussion of you know was he was he really such an amazing coach i think you know he he was as good at branding as as jordan was um you know Mm -hmm. like like such a weird niche of like zen and and the hippie thing with like <laughs> you know um just kind of raw talent and like size i remember i don't i think it was the halverson book but they they talk about when he was drafted for north dakota whoever was scouting him just like had him go in the back seat of a of a Buick or something and just open both side doors from the inside <laughs> out the windows and you're like yeah you're on the team um so like like that's like mystique I feel like is really the word for Phil Jackson and like you know I, I don't know if you can really argue with the rings. I mean, you know, you you, you have a case yeah. once he gets to New York um, after the Lakers, and uh, <laughs> given the that like some of the the veil might have slipped, but um, you know, maybe maybe yeah. he fell out of I mean, touch with his uh, brethren <laughs> in the well, Native American think, community. Oh my God! I also think the 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 New York thing is kind of unfair because they they hired him for a job that he didn't even want and that he had never, uh, he had never done. Like he'd never been the manager of a team before and he didn't even want it. They were just like, Oh yeah, we'll give you a blank check. Just, just tell us however much money you want. And like the position's yours. So he just, it kind of hustled them. He was like, all right, pay me this much. I'm just going to sit there and like spout a whole bunch of bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, just rake in this cash. Right. Well, he's no Jerry Kraft, <laughs> that's for sure. Embrace the surface. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Cool. Alright. I do wanna I wanna just really quick shout out uh Will Purdue, who of course <laughs> was a was a bit of a, a legend growing up, uh, because of course he had like size twenty four shoes or something like that. Sounds he had right. like the biggest feet in the NBA. But I liked when he said uh Sometimes we wondered if Jordan had feelings. <laughs> it's like that's the stuff I like, yeah. you know, when some of the peripheral guys are like, yeah. Uh, it's like the talking heads yeah. talking about David Byrne, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, you know, I guess is like, right? The, like, I, I feel like Prince, going back to the, the montage that we brought up earlier, like, you know, is one of the only guys people kind of talk to as as being a great and like a good person, as as kind of esoteric and and um, offstanding as he could be, but like like just those sort of like genius level, you know, once in a generation talents, you know, in art or sport or whatever. Um, you know that that's what Michael was talking about before any of this started. Oh, everyone's gonna 
gonna hate me they're gonna think i was a bad teammate mm-hmm. like like well like you know you you're doing all right um i do i, I i'll say um uh, in the 90s at some point mid 90s or or early um my mom we lived in northwestern indiana and my mom just like on this side road uh found a hat a nike hat on the side of the road and it was signed with John, John Paxson signed it. And she still has it wow. to this day. Just like some ratty, like off-white hat that John Paxson signed, which she like will take to her grave or something. I think about it every time he's on screen. But um, he seems like kind of a uh, uh, toe-the-company-line type of guy, no? Well, I mean, he, oh, you know, <laughs> when, when the interviews were done, he, you know, he was pretty in it. Um, I, I think if you were to interview him now, you know, he might have some different stories to tell. The The other thing, I keep bringing up these books, which I guess, you know, read these books, but um, talking about John Paxson just wanted, like, his son to, like, be proud of him and see him playing basketball or something. Like, um, just seemed like kind of a good-hearted, like, just happy to be there playing with michael kind of guy and then he gets you know that shot um right so you know i it's it's a real cinderella story for john paxton as far as i'm concerned (laughs) yeah i mean he uh he basically got paid by reinsdorf to go into retirement so not the first (laughs) yeah not the first I don't know about any of you, but I'm a, I'm a long-suffering White Sox fan as well, yeah. so I'm double Jerry Reinsdorfed. I got the double curse, uh, and I, I I think that like uh, Paxson is the Kenny Williams of his time, you know, uh, just got to be dem- demoted into retirement in the front office of a Jerry Reinsdorf organization where you sure. fail upwards. Yeah, yeah I'm a uh, I'm a Cubs fan, so my suffering ended uh, a few years ago. But it was uh, it was long lasting, no doubt. <laughs> um, so I, I asked. I can't remember if there was if, if there was an answer. Or we know. Do we know what's coming up? Like, uh, was there a teaser for for the next one? I haven't seen one. Okay. Well, I guess we'll we'll figure it out uh, on Sunday. And um, six rings. We'll be back. Uh, thanks, Eric, for joining us. It was great. Hey, to, thanks to, for having me. Yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, well, I hope you enjoy the rest of the series. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Peace. All right. Later.